I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hi, everyone. I hope all is well. I know this has been an eventful start to the decade, and my hope is that everyone is faring well and still finding light and positivity. This week's episode features Lynn Battle, an incredibly talented, self-taught weaver who began weaving to help offset her symptoms from being diagnosed with lupus and MS. We're so lucky to have Lynn on the podcast this week, and I'm excited to share our conversation. Hello, Lynn. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, Sean. Thanks for inviting me. Can you start out by introducing yourself and giving us a bit of background about yourself as well? Uh, my name is Whitland Battle. Most people call me Lynn. I'm black, disabled, and live in an inner city community called Inslee in, the, in Birmingham, Alabama, where I'm a hand weaver. Um, I started off life as a college administrator, but due to things that I couldn't forecast, um, am now a disabled hand weaver. I learned, it's funny, my diagnosis actually led me to knitting. My, when I was diagnosed, the doctor that diagnosed me suggested that I learn to knit. He thought that it might keep my hands limber. And so I ended up learning, at the time I was living in San Francisco Bay Area, and I learned to knit at a small shop in Berkeley that no longer exists called um, Yarnal Knowledge. And knitted for quite a while, but it, it just never fulfilled. I enjoyed knitting, but it didn't, it wasn't fulfilling for me. It didn't ring my bell, but I kept knitting. Um, I was good at starting things, but not good at finishing things. Uh, and my daughter, I, I'm a single mom with a daughter who went off to college, to Berea College in Kentucky, which is a wonderful school in Appalachia um, that's free to all students, all working class or poor students. And part of their mission is the preservation of Appalachian ways, which weaving falls into. She, uh, as many freshmen do, didn't want me tagging along to a freshman orientation, ditched me, and I got lost on campus and ended up in their weaving studio, where it felt like I entered home. I mean, it was, I just stood there mesmerized, and from that point on, every time I went back to her campus, I stopped in the weaving studio and spent hours watching them and asking questions. This went on for about four years. And uh, towards the end of, about the time she was graduating, a, a friend that has a connection to the college and was sick of hearing me ask, talk about weaving, uh, arranged for me to get a small rigid head of loom. Uh, it was a 10-inch samplet, Ashford samplet. And that was January of 2018, two years ago. And I started weaving at that point and haven't stopped. So that was actually very recent. When you first got the samplet loom, did you previously know how to weave? I knew absolutely nothing. The only thing I had, I had never touched a loom before other than standing in the doorway at Berea College's weaving log cabin weaving studio. I got on the internet and 
and started. I didn't even know anybody that weaved, so that wove. So I got on the internet, bought a book. <laughs> Six months later, I ended up with a floor loom. So it's been. I, I refer to that sample as my as my gateway drug. <laughs> I mean, rigid heddle looms, I feel, are one of the best ways to get started weaving because they have the basic elements of weaving. They're very easy to kind of start with. So I I definitely see how you use that as a gateway drug. Can you kind of talk about the early process of you figuring out how to weave? How did you begin using patterns? And what were some of the tools and things that you used to make your weavings? Well, the the rigid heddle, like you said, it was easy to start with, and but it was also I realized very early on it was limiting, because I'd see all these patterns and I had by that time figured out the concept of needing more shafts, and I started to understand first twill and that I wanted to do a twill. I knew I started looking at fabrics around me and realized my blue jeans were twill and I wanted to do a twill and I liked color. Started off with the rigid heddles, I could experiment with color, but then that then I wanted pattern too. And it just all snowballed. Um and I just started looking at things around me. It's it, I it's funny how many things in nature res, uh are mimic the weaving process and Many of the things I do are copies of things I see in nature or or just things around me. And the there are good things and bad things about teaching yourself. I didn't have anyone that I could constantly ask questions or how to do anything, but I also didn't have anyone to tell me that I couldn't do anything. So I just tried. I had... A huge supply of knitting yarn that I began sticking on that rigid heddle, and I just tried. And then when it became when I moved on to the floor loom, I just kept trying. And mistake, a mistake just became a new creation. Mm. Wow. And would you say that you have a preference between using floor looms and rigid heddle looms? Yeah, I love my floor loom. Mm. I, uh, the, I the rigid heddle was a wonderful start, but I think I've used it maybe twice since I've gotten the floor loom. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely, I mean, I wake up in the morning. It, my first thing, second to my daughter, the first my favorite, my favorite thing on earth is that floor loom. Um, it's I my only. I'm now starting to have shaft envy. I I have a four shaft and I'd love to have it eight, but I just, I could probably be happy discovering things on that floor loom from here now to the day I die. I just, it's endless between colors and patterns and there's just so much you can do. I just absolutely love my floor loom. Do you have a material preference? Do you like using particular types of yarns? Well, that's where it comes in. I'm still a newbie. Um, I started off with wool, which was interesting. I 
and liked it, but limited in the things that I could make. And I ended up very early on, I decided I was going to make a baby blanket for a friend of mine that was becoming a grandmother. So I started with, I next tried cotton, which I found I like a lot, um, especially uh, cotton, the uh, carpet warp, the 8-4. Uh, so I do a lot of cotton for baby blankets, and I do a lot of tinsel for uh, shawls. I, one of the things that that I that attracted me so to weaving is it's sort it's art in a lot of ways, but it's also you, you make things that are useful. It, um, I don't even know how to explain it, but I just makes my heart happy to make something that's both beautiful and useful. Mm. And can you kind of speak about your patterns and your weaving aesthetic? Like, how do you come up with the designs that you have and what inspires you? A lot, like I said, it's looking around, especially when it comes to color. Um, For the patterns, I just bought every book I could find. Uh, I, most of, I kind of, for me, my weaving is sort of like jazz. I look at the traditional things like the green, the, the green book and um, the pattern dictionary and other people's weavings. And I just sort of start with them and, and make them my own. Hmm. uh, Again, not having anybody to tell me I can't do it. So I, that that it's against the rules. I just sort of do what I want. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. It's, It's beautiful how that works. Not knowing or going into something without any preconceived notions. It really opens you up to the possibilities and you have the opportunity to discover so much more. Yeah, I feel like I'm sort of learning weaving backwards. Um, have started from the no rules, and I'm hoping to take a weaving class this summer or this fall for the first time and learn the rules, which may be very hard for me. <laughs> well, I'm sure that'll be very interesting to kind of compare and contrast the way that you've been weaving and the way that you've been doing things versus maybe the way that other people learn to do it yeah i've been and i've been lucky i've been i've met people on the web and there's a weaving guild there's a fiber guild here in birmingham uh, that i can been able to ask people questions but it's the other problem with a floor loom is you can't take it with you or drag them home with you so i i've had the I get their knowledge, but only as much as I want to use it. Mm. So when it comes, so I'm sort of frightened at having to sit and listen and be taught within the rules. It's sort of like I've been a wild child that's suddenly going to be have to go to school. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that. But I'm looking forward to though learning the structure. The I some of the things I do I don't even know 
what they are until someone tells me like one of my first weavings was shadow weave that I sort of made up and didn't know what it was called and I posted it on the web thinking I had invented something and someone in one of the groups said no that's shadow weave mm. but I like and that's I, I love shadow weave because it looks like it's woven in different levels like the old Escher pictures of where things lines it looks like it's uh, multi-dimensional mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah shadow weaves are gorgeous but kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with you dealing with your diagnosis and how weaving has helped you can you go a little bit more in depth about what lupus is what ms is and how weaving is helping you along in the process Sure. Uh, both lupus and MS are autoimmune diseases. Um, with lupus, my body's pretty much allergic to itself. It attacks itself. Um, I can wake up. So I've had episodes where my body has decided that my optic nerve was a foreign object and tried to destroy it. I've gone blind within 24 hours um, with no notice. And luckily, doctors were able to get my sight back. Uh, I've had four hip replacements, both hips twice, where it went after my bone marrow. Um, with the MS portion, it, it's pretty much the same thing, but it's going after my muscles. So I'm some, quite limited sometimes in how much I can move and what I can do every morning. I, I don't know... From the time I go to bed till I get up in the morning, what I'll be able to do each day. Some days I can go to bed perfectly fine and wake up and not be able to walk. Um, or my sight is diminished for a while. Uh, each day is a surprise. And having the loom in the house is such a wonderful thing because if I can't get out to drive or walk, I can get myself to the loom. And um, lupus and MS, the, my diagnosis have taken away so much of my life. Uh, they've taken away things that I'd hoped to do, uh, places I'd hoped to go. And the loom sort of has given me the, a gift of replacing it in ways. Weaving uh, soothes my soul. It... Um, gives me a vacation from the pain, from the disabilities. It just, it fills a spot that I didn't even know, that I thought would never get filled. It makes me happy. The only restriction with it is that I can only weave for short periods of time. Every 45 minutes or so I have to get up and do something else or I get locked in the, the position I'm in and can't get up. <laughs> So it takes me longer to weave, but that's okay. And so you've been dealing with this diagnosis for... 30 years altogether. I was diagnosed with lupus when I was 30 years old. I'm 61 now. The MS came a little later. 
what intrigues me the most about your story is how many ways that you're kind of putting yourself into your work. You are talking about dealing with this diagnosis. And then you also have this very prominent cultural influence that I'm also really interested in talking about as well. On Instagram, your name is Nappy Weaver. And I'm really curious as to what that name represents and what that means to you in your practice. Um, That's kind of funny. I, I actually have two Instagram sites. One is Nappy Weaver and the other one is Hood Weaver. Um, oh wow! I didn't know you had Hood Weaver. <laughs> yeah, um, Nappy Weaver is actually where I post just about any. My weaving gets posted there, and random thoughts, everything gets posted on Nappy Weaver. Hood Weaver is where I post just my weaving. I, it's, I laughingly say I'm I'm a hood weaver, and I and I weave on my hood loom. <laughs> but. Um, it comes from a lot of stuff. Um, one of the things early on I noticed was most of the weavers I was running into didn't look like me and didn't live in a community like I do. Um, so I wanted people to know. And again, I think of my weaving as an art form. And like any art, I think that all that I am is reflected in my weaving. That means my, disab- my disabled, my being a disabled, my my um my blackness my culture everything i think is put into my weaving and i wanted people to know who i was and i also wanted people to, who were thinking about weaving that might look like me to know that there were weavers out there that looked like me that looked like us um and the other thing is a lot of times when i tell people i'm a weaver they uh, they assume I'm a ha- that I do hair, so I got tired of <laughs> explaining that. So that's where Nappy Weaver came from. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. Yes. <laughs> I someone asked me the other day, "What do you do?" And I you know I said, "Well, I I weave," and they wanted to wanted to know if I had a cart. They wanted they were, had been thinking of getting their hair done. <laughs> And I had to try to explain. Wow. That's so interesting that that's where Nappy Weaver comes from because weave is the opposite in a sense. And so you're kind of letting people know that you are work, you are working in a different way. Yeah. That's so interesting. Wow. And, and also hood weaver kind of has the same, yeah, I when people think of weaving, they don't think of it coming from, you know, hand weavers. They don't think it from it coming from an inner city neighborhood. I live in a little neighborhood called Inslee in the western side of Birmingham where many people might be afraid to come. And but it's, you know, I and it actually came from I used to go to a knit shop here in 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 Birmingham, near Birmingham, and one of the women that knit there often used to always refer to where I'd lived or communities like mine as the hood, and she'd say it in a real negative way, comical way, thinking it was funny. And I one day, finally got fed up and one day told her, you know, the hood is a place where people bring up their children, where they grow old, where they come home from work. And where they weave, it's 
it's, uh, you know, I don't know. I get frustrated sometimes. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's definitely a very valid frustration to have. And I think that it's really important for you to have that experience and to also share that perspective, because I don't think people are very mindful of things like that. And there are a lot of different things that go into the reason why people feel the way that they do or feel compelled to say the things that they say. But I think it's really radical to to have that conversation. And I'm glad that you are taking pride in where you're from and that you've branded yourself around creating space within an environment that that type of craft is unexpected. But now that you've kind of mentioned your neighborhood and where you're from, can you talk more about your surrounding community? Are textiles something that is popular in Birmingham? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> Birmingham, unfortunately, it's, prob- it's still a very segregated area. Uh, there are two yarn shops, both in a, what we call over the mountain, which is the white suburbs. Um, and they're both majority white places. Um, I no longer shop at either of them for personal reasons. I buy everything I buy off the web. Um, but I, um, but and there's also, and people, they're, they're expensive yarns and people sit around and, sh- and weave and discuss things. Not weave, uh, knit and crochet and discuss things. And then there are the inner city uh, recreation centers and churches where uh, women with less means come to knit and, commu- and commune just like they do in the separately on the others shops. Um, so there's a lot of fiber stuff going on, but separately. Mm. So Birmingham is kind of where there is sort of a, a parallel line. Yeah, a parallel line that's kind of invisible, but everyone walks it and follows it accordingly. Yeah, in many ways. In many ways, things have some things have changed, but mm. when you look closely a lot of things have not. Uh, Birmingham, Jefferson County, where Birmingham is sited, is the southernmost portion of the Appalachian Mountains. So we're part of Appalachia. And Birmingham has a history of mills um, where fabric was produced, uh, industrial fat. So there is a culture around fiber here. But again, when it comes to the it being done individually in the homes, again, it was a, it was separate. There, uh, a lot of patchwork quilting, uh, knitting, crocheting, but not not a lot of it being done together. And and there are groups uh, like Bib and Tucker here, uh, a a so op that are trying to change things and bringing, starting to bring people together. But in many ways, there are a lot of the old ways too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that that's definitely something that I noticed when I moved down to South Carolina, the subtle transcendence of the past that just kind of 
lingers and it affects both socially and economically. And so it's interesting to kind of think about how this plays out in craft where you're kind of talking about a social circle of people who are maybe knitting and weaving in stores versus people who are knitting and weaving in community centers. And I'm still going back to what you were saying before about Hood Weaver and why that name is important and what it means. It's also really difficult for for fiber artists to support their craft, whether they're full-time or part-time. How have you been able to sustain your making practice? Have you had any challenges in, in doing so? Yeah, the biggest challenge for me is I live on a very small fixed income because of my disability. So usually I have mm. to sacrifice things to to buy yarn. Uh, and I also make it harder on myself. I don't produce to be producing. I sell a few th- items, but I, the way I sell is I, um, I only do commission pieces. I like to interview the person that I'm making something for, for and get an idea of who they are and how they live and what they want and produce something that's produced just for them. I really, one of the gifts of weaving for me is to be able to make something that's for a person from the very beginning, from its concept to the time that it reaches their hands. In, in today's world of so much mass-produced stuff, you look around and you find that you don't own anything that was made for you. So I like to give people the gift of having something made for them. Uh, just for them. So I probably could make more money if I just produced stuff and stuck it on the web to sell. But that doesn't, it doesn't make my heart happy. Hmm. That's amazing. And where can people go on social media or the internet to potentially have pieces commissioned by you? The easiest place to see my work is and to contact me is through Instagram, the Hood Weaver site, and it's hood underscore weaver. Amazing. So it's been really great talking to you and you being so open and sharing so much of yourself and also educating all of us on this podcast of your experiences Do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers, textile enthusiasts, or people who are in similar positions who kind of just want to pick up a floor loom or a rigid heddle loom and just get started? Uh, For me, it's the only advice I could give is to just do it. Have fun, make mistakes, and then weave some more. Just keep weaving. (laughs) It's it. It's an addicting practice, and if it, you know, if it makes you happy, and if it does, just keep doing it. Don't, don't get frightened by the rules. There's nobody gonna come and arrest you for breaking a weaving rule. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> Never can tell. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. Thank you. That's a wrap. 
If you're interested in finding out more about Lynn's work or to contact her about a commission, you can find links in the show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode dash 101. Next week on the podcast, I'm super excited to welcome back Sarah Resnick. She has some amazing guests on the roster and I'm excited to tune in as well. So stay tuned for next week's episode and until next time, happy weaving! Happy weaving!